0: Welcome to the Parent Coach Podcast. This is your place to hear about parenting suggestions on how to be a supportive parent to your son or daughter who play competitive sports. So excited to have you here with us. My name is George Zink, former ATP player, coach, and now parent of elite athletes. I'm here with my partner, Ben Zink, who is also a former ATP player and coach. Let's get started.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Zinc Tennis Parent Coach Podcast. My name is Ben Zink. We're so happy to have you. Today's topic, George and I are going to be talking a lot about a junior's journey through getting better and how to progress and what things we need to really do to find the best path for our kids and how we can make them the best players that we can be. So first, George, I want to ask you, how do I find a great coach? What does that look like? And Where do I do that? And how do I decipher what's a great coach, good coach? And what are some, maybe some steps that we can do to find, to find that coach?
0: So you and I just had a conversation before we became, before we got on air talking about, you know, look, if it wasn't the sport that we know inside and out, backwards and forwards, which is tennis, you know, let's say, you know, my son or daughter played soccer. And I went on the internet to try to find the best soccer coach or academy that I could find. Basically, on the internet, I'm going to get the leads from whoever spends the most money to get the best search results, correct? So at the end of the day, I've got to take that information and then I got to do some homework. And I think if you're looking for a great coach, and we see this all the time, you're looking for a great coach, and then somebody goes on the internet and somebody spends a lot of money with their website or just, you know, again, great search results and things like that, all of a sudden, you know, we think that that academy is, you know, a rock star. So what we know in tennis is that's obviously not true and not, it's not always the case in every situation, but in tennis, it's, uh, you know, true a lot. So I think that the best thing to do is to find whether it's an academy or a private coach is to find, you know, five to seven of them. And then I think the best thing is to go out and watch a practice, watch what they do. What is their knowledge of tennis and what is their background? And a lot of times we talked about this before, does a coach need to be a great player to be a great coach? And, you know, I think the answer to that is definitely no, but I definitely think it helps to understand the game and for the coach to be somewhat of a good player, because if not, how do they, how do they know? You know, I'm not 100 percent sure, and I probably should know this before we came on air. I don't know how good Uncle Tony, you know Rafa's coach as, was as a player, and we should probably do some research and find that out. I don't know how great of a you know player he was, but I do think that you know that has to play a part of it. But more so is that we just read an article on Tim Mayotte on tennisplayer.net, and if, if you haven't read it, you should go check it out. But it talks about Tim Mayotte, and fr- I've never met Tim but I can tell this guy has done a lot of research and a lot of, you know, education in coaching tennis. Now, again, I haven't been by his side, so I don't know how he coaches, but I think that we really need to go out there and learn for ourselves what kind of player or what kind of coach this person is. And I think so often we just take somebody else's word for it and we don't look for ourselves. The other thing I want to talk about a little bit is drop off parents, right? And I think we are always looking for all these things to happen for our kids. And I think parents are dropping their kids off at lessons or the academy and not staying and watching. And I'm not saying that they have to stay and watch all the time, but I think that parents need to be more involved in the actual lessons and to see what's going on. Because if, if I'm a drop off parent, what happens is is when, you know, the parent isn't, you know, there, it could be a completely different lesson than when they are when they are there. And so I just think that the parent really needs to do research on the coach and making sure that it's a good mentor and plus has some kind of system of how they got better. And then the biggest thing is, is have they produced results? And if they've produced results and they, again and again, then, you know, and you like the person as, you know, their personality and you think it's a good fit. I think that's, that's, that's the starting point of finding a good coach.
1: So much of that is is as parents, they just have to see it and also see the connection that that coaches have with the student too. I think that's another big piece is having the the right coach and connection, and not just you know the kid can be not receptive to a coach if they don't have that right attitude. And parents are only going to see that if they are there and present.
0: Yeah, and I, and again, you know, like I I've come full circle, you know, full full circle in the whole brow beating thing, right? And, you know, I just don't think that they're is a time or place for browbeating. And Ben, as you know, if I want to be authentic and real, last week, you know, coaching my own daughter, I had a, you know, a very bad parenting moment that I, you know, kind of ashamed to admit, but it happened, right? Where I I kind of lost my temper on the court. And, you know, look, to the podcast listeners out there, I need to be real with you and I need to tell you, you know, look, I don't live this perfect life as a coach because it's not easy coaching your own kids. But, you know, I, I had a bad moment, and I apologized to my daughter. I, you know, it, some things were going on in my own life that I let affect it, and I had a bad moment where I did lose my temper, and I, my, my voice got loud, and, and it wasn't a good moment. I don't think that there's a time and a place for that. Some coaches say, yeah, you know, I think that there is. I, I disagree. I think that that was a bad coaching moment for myself. And whether that was my daughter or somebody else, I, I just don't think that the it it's necessary in the game today because to me, I can get my point across without raising my voice. And I think this game is all about confidence. And I think to beat somebody down, I think is a, a mistake and especially in this day and age.
1: Yeah, and I think that kids are a little bit more sensitive to things that are said to them. So they take it to heart. And we've talked about that on the last podcast. But along with that though, comes intensity and work ethic and the coach needs to have those things and what do you think is the right combination and is it all on court there's no off court if I'm a if I'm a parent looking for a coach you know as tennis players we always we always say you got to get in shape to play tennis you can't play tennis to get in shape so there's also that off court piece and and other things of that nature and and the overall intensity if we we know that if we're not working hard we're not going to be making progress so tell us a little bit like what kind of intensity should a coach have and their off court skills, or do you go elsewhere for the off court? And, and we're going to get further into it later in the podcast about scheduling and things like that. And that's, that's super important. So what do I look for there?
0: Well, you and I are coaching a girl right now. And I think it's, you know, uh, she's from Orlando. And, you know, one of the things that we find is that how do they find all the pieces, you know, they find a great coach, which, you know, hopefully they did in, in you and I, and then, you know, then they have the fitness part. Like, do they hire a fitness coach? Then there's the recovery piece. Do they hire a recovery person, a massage? stretch person, right? I mean, obviously when you're top five in the world, you can afford all those people, but there's a lot of parents out there that can't afford, you know, everyone. So, you know, I think that definitely the intensity piece on court needs to be there. And I do think that you can get pretty fit by being on court. You know, like I think, you know, at the end of the day, you can't fill all the pieces on court, you know, the strength, obviously piece you can't fill on court, but I think there's a lot of things that you can do on court. But the intensity on court, I think, has to be, it has to be focused. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle and a lot of coaches struggle, where it's just, you know, the lesson is, let's hit some forehands, backhand serves, volleys, overhead serves, make sure that we do that all in the hour, where there's not really, you know, dialed in focus. And I think that's where you and I have gotten, you know, much better, is that we have a theme every time that we go out there and, and we talk about it before we get out on the court, you know, this is the focus that we're going to work on. Like right now with, you know, with my daughter, Lindsay, and the girl that we're coaching is, you know, we basically understand exactly what every day, what our focus is going to be. And, you know, and it's, and it's two things. It's making their strengths stronger and it's making their weaknesses much better. You know, and I think that most people always want to focus on the weaknesses. Let's make the weaknesses better, but they don't focus on making the strengths. And I, I think, Watching Dominic team and and Novak Djokovic today, I mean, you know, in the quarters of the French Open, I mean, Dominic's team's forehand was gigantic. I mean, it was it was. I mean, and everybody says, you know, his backhand down the line is unbelievable, but they didn't realize the forehand was gigantic. And if somebody didn't see that along the way and really work on that, it wouldn't be a weapon. So I think that you know the intensity has to be there almost every you know second on the court. Right. And I think that schedule looks this is kind of what I look at as a perfect schedule. You know, the hour and a half hour and 45 minutes in the morning and then an hour, an hour and 45 minutes in the afternoon, plus conditioning, 45 minutes. And then it's the recovery piece, whether that's, you know, 20 minutes of foam rolling, 10 minutes of stretching. And then if we can add a massage in there or two a week, great. If we can't afford it, then, you know, maybe mom, dad does that helps with that part. But I think that we have to that's the perfect schedule. Now that does that mean that everybody needs to adhere to that perfect schedule? Nope, you know, it doesn't mean that, but it means that you know I do I, I just don't I don't believe in these three three hour practices, these three and a half hour practices where these kids cannot stay focused long enough. Then we have the question that we get all the time, Ben is what about the kids that aren't homeschooled? You know what about that? What about how do they do that? Well, let's talk about that a little bit if, if you know if a, if a kid is in school, Let's just call it eight to three, you know, let's call that the school eight to three thirty. I would much rather see, you know, the student get to the courts at four practice four to five 30, take an hour and a half, two hour break, whether that's homework and, and dinner, and then doing a, maybe just another 45 minute practice. I think that is better than doing this, this big clump, you know, practice that is just overwhelming. And because I just don't think that the bodies can take it. And again, hour and a half to me would be perfect if we can, you know, make sure that the intensity stays there. But at a young age, sometimes it's hard, you know, we're giving the kids a little bit more break so they can stay in there. So that's, that's kind of what I think with the intensity part.
1: That's exactly the way I feel as well. And I think that most parents will start to, you know, as we're coaches and and coaching kids is that like, it's time intensive and that parents really need to understand. And I think kids need to understand as well that, you know, it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice in your time and it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice in travel. I mean, sometimes the, you know, your coach is a little further away. It's definitely a commitment. And, you know, we were having a conversation with someone yesterday that, you know, it could be a 30 hour work week outside of your work week as a parent, taking your kid where they need to go and arranging. And if you're staying or if, you know, you're taking their rackets to get strong or what have you, but definitely understanding that the time is important and doing it right is important, but at the same time that it's very time intensive and it's it's going to take a little bit of a sacrifice somewhere to get everything in. Obviously, if you just hit once a day and there's no recovery, no fitness or any of that sort, you're going to get away with just an hour and a half. But to really do it and do it properly, there has to be that time intensity that's being used. And And we've talked about that all the time, that it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. And you know, if you have two kids that play tennis or three kids that play tennis, it's it's even more. So, you know, putting that time in as a parent is definitely going to you're going to be able to see more of what's happening. And I think that that's one thing that we talk about, is, you know, is, is being a parent is being involved. You're also starting to learn as well. And that's going to help you decipher different coaches and, uh, and different things that are going on and different methodologies and things like that, that are definitely, definitely important. And we talk about that all the time. So, George, my, my next question along with that is, is, you know, is it good to try other coaches and, and to get different information? And, and how do we search out that information as a parent? You know, there's so much on the internet and things like that, but there's also good information out there if you find it and you look for it. And I think that that's something that, you know, we can even put on the podcast is, is some good information sites as well. What does that look like? And And how do you try different coaches? Because some coaches get, you know, very defensive. They get very, you know, you got to do it my way or the highway and not everyone's the same. So, so what do you think about that?
0: Yes. I have a good story about that. So we moved to Florida in 2012. And one of the things that I, you know, obviously I was a coach, so I knew I wanted to coach my own kids, but I also wanted them to be a part of some academies. Right. So I went to different places and I, you know, tried to talk to the coaches and say, Hey, look, you know, I, I like my kids maybe to come once or twice a week and a lot of coaches, you know, didn't want that. They wanted it all or nothing, which I totally understand. Like when I'm coaching someone, uh, you know, I I want full control over the destiny of their tennis, and I get that. But as but m- myself having kids, right? I also want them to have the opinions of other people. And so I think that coaches really my suggestion to the coaches out there that are listening that the coaches need to be open-minded and maybe be involved with that is if, if they know of a great coach, they say, Hey, look, you know, let's take Tyler to this coach and let's ha let's, let's get some new information. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, the danger of that for the coach is that, Oh my goodness, what happens if they like the other coach a little bit better and they end up losing them. But my theory now as a dad is, you know, you, you, you want the best for the kid. So I'm always searching for people that can enlighten me enlighten my my children that can help us with our journey and i i don't I do think that it's important to have one coach that kind of you know sees over the whole picture and captains the ship, but I also think that you know you do it's nice to have different people involved and 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 different opinions and I don't think we need that all the time, but what I really struggle are these coaches out there that are just You know, very self centered and, you know, get threatened by other coaches and aren't welcoming other kids into their academies. And, you know, because these kids, in my opinion, today, the one thing that kids need more than anything are sets. They need sets. And I don't think they get enough sets. I see so many kids in the first couple of rounds of tournaments that get so tight because they just haven't played enough sets. So I think that's a big piece of the practice. And I think you get that by, you know, collaboration with other coaches and 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 having good relationships with them and not being so afraid that you're gonna lose someone. So I think the parents out there, I think it's important that you have the discussion with your coach that look, you know, I think as a team, we want to search out the best knowledge. Somebody might, you know, teach a forehand better than I do. And if that's the case, I, I want my student to learn from that coach. So I want to go with them to that lesson. And I want to check my ego at the door and I want to be able to, to learn from that coach because I think a lot of, there's a lot to be learned. And the last thing I'll say about that is that I had this very fortunate period of my life where Tyler was, I guess he was seven years old. And basically I was teaching tennis in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I wanted Tyler to really get exposure. So I was able for about four or five years to literally go to almost every great coach there is in America, right? I didn't go outside of, uh, of the States, but I literally, I think Tyler as if you name a person, I can tell you that Tyler has been to them and probably knows them. And I really just wanted a lot of different information, but the biggest thing for me as a coach that I wanted that information. So, you know, I, you know, have seen the best of the best coach. And I think a lot of, and here's the other thing is a lot of the best of the best, they don't seem to get out of their backyard a lot. You know, they, you know, I can think of a couple names that I don't want to mention on air, but you know, that I know that haven't left their home turf in a long time to see anybody else coach. And I think that's important. You know, I think it's important to, you know, so I just think that they got to reach out to see other people doesn't mean that there can't be one captain of the ship, but I I think that we have to search for the best information no matter where that is.
1: And that brings us to, you know, being a knowledge seeker and also looking at the long-term gain of it. You know, everybody's looking for that short-term answer. Tennis is definitely developmental and you definitely need knowledge for that. And the more knowledge you can gain and then put into your practices, I think the better off in the long-term that player is going to be as they have more access to information and different ways to think about it Because tennis is definitely chess. It's not checkers. Um, (laughs) For sure. Along with that, let's talk a little bit about player development. Obviously, you you were talking about sets just a minute ago. Being able to practice a set and not worry about the score, but worry about what you're practicing and implementing that into your game as a player. As a parent, we have to look at it a little differently, I think, and say, hey, my kid is practicing to do better in the future than to necessarily win now because really if you look at the players in the 12s and look at the players that are on TV my guess is that most of them weren't the best players in the world in the 12s it's a long term process so george can you give us you know your thoughts on developmental players and and what that looks like maybe taking a loss or two in the first round but for the good of for the good of a player what does that look like
0: yeah so as a competitor right i come from you know i competed myself and when I competed myself, it was all about the win, right? I wanted to win, and I still hate to lose. I, I hate it, and I'm trying to get better. I want to be able to fail and fail fast and move on, but I still struggle with it internally. So, and I think there's a lot of parents that struggle with that 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 they're they grew up, you know, kind of the way I did, where winning was everything. And now, as a coach, you know, if I'm gonna preach the the player development thing then I've got to be able to live it and, and, and breathe it. And, and I think that that's tough sometimes because, you know, I don't want to blame the USTA for this because I think the, U- I, I know Martin Blackman personally, and I think they're trying to do an incredible job, but I think what happens with USTA tournaments is we end up, you know, what I call point chasing and we chase points because the higher we're ranked, the more attention we get, and the more attention we get, the more opportunities we get, right? I think that's just the evolution of what happens. But what happens to a lot of players is that they forget about the player development piece, that they're just, I, you know, I can watch, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I watched the girls' finals of a tournament, and these two girls, you know, I almost felt sorry for them because I felt like they were literally playing just to win that day. You know, both of them, I thought the player development side just wasn't there. So I think that they have the ability to just, you know, get the ball in the court and win now, but they just aren't going to develop their game and be good later. So I think that that has a big, th- you know, a big part of this game is to try to figure out how do I stay player development mind oriented and still play tournaments? And, you know, I don't think that I don't think that there's an easy answer, but I do th- know for a fact that point chasing is is ridiculous right and i just think that we have to focus on the development of a forehand the development of a backhand the development of a serve and volley the development of strategy and if we're developing all those things you know i, I sometimes do some research on mr williams right i mean serena and venus you know barely played a tournament until they were 14 years old you know why did that work because he was focused solely on the development of the girls and not focusing on all these points, right? I mean, how, like you said at the beginning, how many people were ranked number one in the country in the 12s and then never were heard of again? And they got all this success at the beginning, but then they struggled later in life. So I, th- I just don't think it, it really matters in the 12s, 14s, and 16s. I, I, I think it has, you know, I think it has to all to do with player development and focusing on, again, making the weaknesses better and making the strengths, you know, very strong. I think if we start to focus on that, that's where our focus, is, and not get caught up in these tournaments, the points. And I can tell you, I can sit here and on this podcast and I can talk about this, but I cannot tell you that I've conquered this, because you know, I, I still you know, I don't look to see what my kids are ranked, but my wife does, and I know sort of where they're ranked, and but I don't focus on it anymore, but way deep down inside, if they start doing well, sure, I care you know, just because I want them to succeed. So it's just a tough, fine line between, you know, that whole thing of, of point chasing versus player development. And I think we need to stay focused
1: on player development. So if I'm, if I'm taking this correctly, it's more of a journey than a destination.
0: 100%, 100%. But, you know, I think it's one thing. I think these podcasts also, you know, and every time I'm on air or every time I'm doing a video, I think they help me more than they help you. Right as I'm listening to this, it just reinforces to me what I what I want to be, who I want to be as a person, and how I how I want to evolve. And you know, as I, I love winning, right? I, I just love it. I love going out. I'm, I'm actually in the background. We have you know, Halep just played in the quarters of the French Open, and she was down a set and you know and a break, and and she battled back. And I'm just you know praying that she's win. I love her. I love the way her you know she fights on the court. I want her to win you know, I wanted to win. And so I'm a winner at heart, but I just think that you, you know, as a junior, you have to be focused on, on, you know, if there's a, if there's a glaring weakness, you're going to struggle at some point. I mean, I don't care how much you fight, you're going to struggle.
1: You know, going along with what you just said, and that last piece was, I found important is you're saying you wanted to help to win. And that kind of, you were cheering for her. And you talk about this all the time is that, you know, having a cheerleader and on that journey, you're going to need a really loud cheerleader. And we talk about that all the time. And, and I think that that's something that you've done a great job with your kids. And, you know, I think that that's super, super important. And that's a value that you talk about all the time. Can you just share with us right here as we close, like what that means is being a cheerleader, especially on this journey of junior tennis and, and things like that. I think that that's a journey that is a, is a tough one for a kid, especially, you know, going through life and going into college and into the future. What does being a cheerleader mean as a parent? And obviously, you've said throughout the podcast that it, it's still tough, but focusing on winning and losing as a cheerleader probably isn't the best. So what kind of cheerleader do you find yourself wanting to be? And, and what do you think the best cheerleader would be?
0: So you and I talked about this a little bit before, too, is that there's a great saying at our CrossFit gym that says, leave your ego at the door and the sweat on the floor. And I just think that ego gets in the way. I think ego gets in the way when we figure out how to be the cheerleader, right? It's like if my kid wins, I win. If my kid's successful, I'm successful. And I think that we got to remember that that's this is their journey. And I think that the biggest thing is, is you know, not that I'm gonna quote Oprah Winfrey, but I'm gonna quote Oprah Winfrey. You know, she talked about she I can't remember how many shows she did, but it was a ridiculous amount of shows and she said that the two things that everybody wanted, they wanted to be heard and understood. That was out of every episode, that was the you know, underlying thing that everybody wanted. They wanted to be heard and understood. And I think our kids want the exact same thing. They want to be heard and understood and not just you know giving our opinions. And, and I think that's that's a big deal, right? So being a cheerleader to me is listening, understanding where they're coming from, and We can give them our advice because we're their parents and we're their mentors. But I also think we have to listen, right? As I coach Tyler, it's different than coaching Lindsay. And then I have a youngest daughter, my daughter, Kate, who is an awesome little girl. She decided she didn't want to play tennis at all. And she actually was pretty good at eight, nine, and 10. And she decided she didn't want to play tennis at all. I had to really listen, you know, let the, you know, I thought I had it all when all three of my kids were playing tennis and then one decides to completely do something else. Which now I'm actually excited for her journey. Like I think she, that her journey is going to be amazing. But I really had to check my ego at the door because I just know tennis inside and out. And but now I'm excited to learn about you know her journey and what she. So I have to listen, and so I think that's important for the parents out there. To be a great cheerleader, you got to show up. You know, and what does that mean? You have to show up when times are tough. You have to show up when times are great. You have to show up at some practices. And I know a lot of people, you know, work schedules don't allow it, but, you know, find the priority and find a way to make it work. If, if your daughter or son are, are doing fitness, don't drop them off because there's the same thing in tennis. There's a lot of crazy fitness people out there. You know, I, I've seen my son be with, you know, what I called an expert trainer and, you know, I walked in the door and he was holding a barbell sideways. Right. So, and, and if I didn't shut that down, my son would have gotten hurt. So I think just showing up, being there, and just because you read or you heard that this person's the best doesn't mean that they are the best. So just be supportive, listen, and, and listening doesn't always mean words. Listening means cues that they come home from practice and they are not talking. They got in the car after practice and they seem down. Look for the body language, listen, ask right questions when you go to tournaments, make tournaments more on a fun thing instead of just about the winning thing. And I think if you start to do these things, you're going to start to notice a huge difference in your relationship with your son or daughter. And overall, you're going to be
1: their biggest cheerleader. I think that that is so great. And basically what you said there is that the parents' journey is alongside the kids' journey, and it's kind of a a family journey together. And I think that that's something that Makes for great tennis players as you have a great group of people around you that can definitely help, inspire, and, and keep you motivated, but also support you as a player through all that. But that's going to be apparent being a great cheerleader on your child's journey. So I want to thank everyone for listening today. It's been a great podcast, George and I. Thank you so much. It was absolutely great to have this conversation and actually, you know, have tons of notes from it. So I want to thank you. Keep listening. We'll keep putting up great information. If you have any questions or anything, please leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. Anything on our website, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it, we got it. So have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.